three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 397. Welcome in. Uh, uh, let me just start with the obvious elf in the room that everybody, I'm sure everybody watching on YouTube is thinking this. As my hair goes longer, my hairline does get worse. So it's just, no, I'm kidding. You probably didn't even notice, but I know I noticed and I'm like, well, maybe you got to buzz it again. I don't, I don't know. There's going to be this awkward stage between curly haired Zach and buzzed head Zach, and it's going to be a while. I don't know. Uh, let's not waste any more time. I apologize. You don't care about my hair. Uh, let's talk about NFL Week 6. Obviously, the Arizona Cardinals just beat the Cleveland Browns 37-14. to It was a very, very impressive win, especially when you consider that the Cardinals did not have their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. He was obviously out uh, because of testing positive for the Rona. Uh, they also did not have defensive linemen, Zach Allen or Chandler Jones, a linebacker coming off the edge. And when Arizona beat the Rams week four, they were 4-0. I remember saying, let's see how the next couple games go. And uh, I am a man of my word, so I'm here to tell you now, it's time to give credit to the Arizona Cardinals. They are playing fantastic. They're 6-0. And at this point, in my opinion, dominating six weeks in a row, the Arizona Cardinals deserve to be in the Super Bowl conversation. And uh, like there are a few tough games ahead. You look ahead at their schedule, they've got you know Green Bay versus Arizona. Two weeks is going to be... A crazy fun game. I hope it comes down to the wire. Who can make a bigger play in the fourth quarter, Aaron Rodgers or Kyler Murray? Like the shock would be if Arizona won that game by like 20 points the same way they beat the Rams. Uh, Then you have the Cowboys and the Colts later this year. I look at Arizona right now. They look like only a three or four loss football team. They're going to have a, the way their year looks and the trajectory of everything, they're going to have a great season, likely be a top seed in the NFC, probably win their division. And I think this is the year that Kyler Murray wins the NFL MVP. I said it last year. I think I was just a year early. Uh, but, I man, Kyler, what he's doing is fantastic. There was a sequence in this game against Cleveland where Arizona had the ball second and six on the eight-yard line. And he goes up to make a change at the line of scrimmage, making a call. And suddenly the ball gets snapped, and he wasn't ready for it. It bounces off his hands, goes behind him. Arizona loses 14 yards. And I remember thinking, like, well, it's third and 21. Like, Okay, well, it's a decent field goal drive for Arizona, and no, 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 no. Third and 21, what does Kyler Murray do? He extends a play, throws a touchdown, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is, that's the kind of thing that can happen with Kyler Murray, and I look at the MVP conversation right now, Kyler should be the front runner, then you have a couple guys like Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, and I, I encourage everyone, look around the NFL and look at the guys who are the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. When I watch Kyler Murray or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, uh, I know he's hurt, but you can't forget about Russell Wilson. Basically, all the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now are either veterans with a lot of experience or guys who can run around and make big plays. Like Tom Brady's in year 22. Aaron Rodgers is in year 17. Either your quarterback has to be like absurdly experienced and have a ton of experience and be able to you know, just clinically dissect NFL defenses or... They have to be able to run around and extend plays and, you know, run for yards and keep plays alive. And if your quarterback can't run and extend plays, you're losing. I mean, teams like, you know, if you have Tua, Miami, or Baker Mayfield, or Kirk Cousins, or Jared Goff, I'm not going to lie. If my team had a quarterback who could not run, I would feel very uncomfortable. And I wouldn't be excited about that. Like, it's not that your quarterback is necessarily bad. Baker Mayfield's not necessarily a bad quarterback. But if you can't run around, what that means is, A, you need to be way more precise and perfect. Tom Brady is a master of reading NFL defense. Just Drew Brees got there. And I, I look at guys, if I worry that people like Baker and Tua aren't going to have time to get to a level of mastery like Drew Brees, like Tom Brady, because teams are going to get impatient and they're going to want a guy who can run around. And, you know, there, I saw a play, the Bills made a play on third and I actually got called back, but Josh Allen missed the blitz that came free. He should have hit his hot route, should have been an easy completion. Instead, he didn't see the blitz. Didn't throw to his hot route, but he made a guy miss in the backfield and ran for a first down. He got called back because of holding. I hated that call. But that was a play where I went, I mean, if your quarterback can't run and can't make that play, he's got to be perfect and precise reading defenses. So either you got to be able to run or have a ton of experience. And there's that whole aspect, if you can't run that whole aspect of your game, extending plays, running around for yardage, that's not available to you. And that's a big deal. So on that note, let's talk about Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. 
Uh, first of all, though, I want to acknowledge all of the things that are working against Baker Mayfield. I want to be fair. I hate criticizing someone without acknowledging the things that might be unfair to criticize. So uh, first of all, let's talk about this. Baker Mayfield is playing hurt. He has a partially torn labrum in his non-throwing left shoulder. I still, I want to point out to people, it's still a brutal injury. When you throw a football, like you split to throw the ball, you're using and engaging your left shoulder. Like it's not like Baker doesn't need his left shoulder to throw the football at all. If your left shoulder is injured, that's a big deal. You got to acknowledge that. Then on top of that injury against Arizona, both of the Browns tackles, left tackle Jedrick Wills and right tackle Jack Conklin, both of them did not play and were injured. Like that's a big deal. I don't know how you can't acknowledge that. Playing hurt with both of your tackles out should not be overlooked. And imagine if that happened to Tom Brady or Dak Prescott or Aaron Rodgers. That would dominate the narrative. So I believe Baker deserves criticism, but I still think you got to be fair and acknowledge, like, hey, not having your tackles, that's a big deal. He's playing hurt. There are things working against him. His running back, Nick Chubb, didn't play. I, I want to be overly cautious of being fair if I'm going to offer criticism. Here it is, though. Against Arizona, Baker had three turnovers, an interception, two fumbles. And I would actually encourage people, let's take a sidestep real quick. Go watch the Kansas City game. Baker had a costly interception in the fourth quarter where he was trying to extend a play and got picked off. And he should have, I remember he had a moment where he could have thrown the ball away and he held on to it, tried to keep the play alive. It's first down. He should have just thrown the ball away. Instead, he held on to the ball too long, made the throw too late, got picked off. Now, in this game against Arizona, Baker made a couple similar mistakes where he had two fumbles and those are plays where he was running around, holding on to the ball too long. I'm sitting there screaming on my TV, Baker, throw it away. And if nothing else, throw it at the check down. Like, th- find your running back, your check down, throw it at his feet. Get the ball out of your hands. And Baker's three turnovers led to 13 points for Arizona, two field goals and a touchdown. And there's never a good time to have a turnover. Like, if you have a turnover in the red zone, I'd criticize that. I'd be like, oh, you can't have a turnover in the red zone. And if you have a turnover in your own territory, I'd say, oh, that's bad because you're giving Arizona great field position. But that's exactly what happened. All three of Baker Mayfield's turnovers were in his own territory. They did give Arizona great field position. And I just imagine if this game had been 24 to 14 rather than 37 to 14. That's a way different game. And we would have a different conversation. We'd say, well, not only did the Browns not get dominated, but maybe the Browns would have been able to make a comeback. And I just think that 37 to 14, insurmountable. But man, there's a couple plays there where if Baker makes those plays, they punt the ball away maybe, or don't have a turnover and go score. It's a very different conversation about this football game we're having. And the reality is that Baker's turnovers made a big difference and they cost Cleveland. Now the mistakes Baker is making are holding back the Browns offense in these really big games. The Browns are three and three. They have losses to Kansas city, Arizona, and the chargers, the three C's chiefs, Cardinals, chargers. They lost to Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and now Kyler Murray. And I don't think it's fair to criticize Baker for the loss they had against LA, the chargers. Remember the defense gave up 47 points and there was a play where for some reason, Kevin Stefanski called a running play on third and 10. I'm like, I don't know why you're not throwing the ball, trying to, you know, you gave the ball back to Justin Herbert willingly. I don't know that it's entirely fair to say Baker's the reason why they lost to Justin Herbert and LA. But the point is that if, if Cleveland, like big picture wise, is going to win big games against good football teams with great quarterbacks like Mahomes, like Kyler Murray, like Lamar Jackson coming up, then Baker Mayfield needs to play much, much better. And again, in this game against Arizona, Baker had two fumbles. And then he had also an interception where his receiver was open, but he just flat out missed. He threw an inaccurate throw, got picked off. And he had a couple misses like that where he had a first down throw on a, like a, a stop route where he just missed it. I'm like, well, I don't, Baker, what's happening here? And maybe the shoulder injury really is affecting him more than we realize. I think ultimately that's just a missed throw by Baker where he's got to be more, he's got to have better attention to detail. And, and talking about attention to detail, there's a play, the very first play of the third quarter, go watch it. Baker did not recognize a blitz, took a sack. And well, it was a really, really bad play for Baker because, again, he's the kind of guy who needs to be precise and, you know, surgically take apart a defense. It, he missed a key detail. He didn't see a blitzer coming free, didn't realize they didn't have enough people to make to protect him if they brought that blitz. He should have found his hot route. Instead, he took a sack and it killed their drive. It's things like that little details where Baker has to be better. 
And I look at the Browns, they got a couple games coming up. They have the Ravens where they play Lamar Jackson twice. They play uh, the Bengals who are four and two looking really good. They play the Bengals and Joe Burrow two times this year. Maybe they do it every year, but then they play week 16. They go on the road at Green Bay against Aaron Rodgers. Like these are five games where Baker's going to have to step up and play really, really well. And we'll see, like at the end of the year, I'll do a recap and see how did the Browns do in these couple games coming up. But Ravens, Bengals, Packers, like Baker's got to play great in these football games. And uh, so far, um, again, Chargers game's unfair, but that Chiefs game, this Cardinals game, Baker made a huge difference with having turnovers and making mistakes. Now, also, I <laughs> I hate to say it. It's a great line, but I do hate to say this. Someone needs to tell Baker that he's not Michael Vick. It's really driving me nuts to watch him. He keeps holding onto the ball way too long, holding onto the ball, trying to extend plays. It's leading to sacks. It's leading to turnovers. There's a piece of like self-awareness that's missing from Baker's game right now where he needs to realize, hey, Baker, love you. Love the commercial. I'm one of the only people that loves the at home with Baker Mayfield commercials, the ones where he's at his stadium. I watch them with my fiance. They're funny. I literally, every time they come on, I say, hey, Liz, come here. And I, I call my fiance over. We watch them together. I love that stuff. So in spite of my love for Baker, someone's got to tell the guy, hey, dude, you're not the athlete of Lamar Jackson. You're not the same kind of athlete as Kyler Murray. For some reason, he insists on trying to play like them, running around, trying to extend plays. And he needs to realize he's not a good enough athlete to play like that. It's just, sorry, it's a limitation you have. In a messy pocket, Baker's got to get rid of the ball. Don't try to make a man miss in the backfield. He had, one, happened, like, once out of every, like, 20 plays, he makes someone miss, escapes the sack, and makes a big play. He did that against Arizona where, I think it was a second and 10 play, he escaped a sack, rolls out right, finds Odell Beckham Jr. down the sideline. That's an awesome play. The problem is that doesn't happen very often. It, it, it's, it, it's a shot in the dark. Every once in a while, he makes that play, and it encourages Baker to keep going. And Baker's like right on the edge of a good enough athlete to run around, but he's not quite a good enough athlete to do that. He's the kind of guy where hey, third and seven, you got to run, Baker run. But most of the time, I don't want Baker Mayfield running around. He's just not a good enough athlete. Again, someone needs to tell Baker, hey, dude, no offense, you're not Michael Vick. Stop trying to play like him. Get the ball out of your hands. It really reminds me of... 28, literally before that, it was, I think, I think January 1st, 2018, the 2018 Rose Bowl, Oklahoma against Georgia. And that's the first time I remember seeing Baker play bigger, faster, and stronger athletes. And in that game against Georgia, his ability to run around is really limited. That's the first time I remember seeing Baker going, yeah, you're not the same athlete as you might think you are. And I just, man, someone has to explain to Baker, you got to learn to play from in the pocket a little more. Stop trying to run around. Stop extending plays. Get the ball out of your hands. Don't hold on to it so long. Now, another note I have from this game. Oh, man. Uh, I, it's, it was fourth and four on the seven-yard line, Browns football. Baker threw a slant to Odell Beckham Jr. And OBJ just dropped it. Yes, OBJ got hit as he would have caught the ball. Uh, it's a bang-bang play. But, like, if you're a superstar receiver, you have to make that play. You have to catch that pass. And that play, that really big, crucial drop on fourth and four, fourth down, seven-yard line, you're on, like, the goal line, dude. You got to catch that. That drop made me go, hmm, man, Odell Beckham Jr. is overrated. Like, we talk about him like he's a superstar receiver. I've literally heard people say that he's not getting enough targets and that Odell needs to leave Cleveland to save his career. It's like, no, no, no. Uh, no, OBJ needs to catch that ball in fourth and four. Stop talking about how he doesn't get enough targets or no one's being fair to him or, you know, Cleveland's a bad situation for him. No, dude, uh, he's got to take advantage of the opportunities he's given. And so far, he's not doing that. It's, it's, oh, it's so frustrating. Now, there is another aspect of this game that is worth mentioning. There were... Look, I don't, I don't like complaining about refs. I, ultimately, if a game comes down to a couple calls by a ref, you didn't do a good enough job taking care of business. And so I, I don't ultimately believe that the refs cost Cleveland this game. Baker's got to play better. Uh, you know, they're injured. Kyler's fantastic. Like, I don't want to discredit Arizona. I also don't want to ignore the mistakes that Cleveland made. Arizona was great. Cleveland made mistakes. However, man, there were so many really, really bad penalties called 
against Cleveland in this game. It was unbelievable. It drove me nuts. I, there was a, a really weird pass interference called on Denzel Ward against DeAndre Hopkins. And, like, it, it's questionable. I, I guess you could see maybe there was contact made early. Maybe it was holding the arm. Then after that, though, there was a complete blatant pass interference call that got not called. And so I'm like, well, ultimately, did, did the refs maybe say, we screwed up on that one, we'll give you another one, a freebie? I don't know what's happening. I felt like the entire football game, the refs were incredibly, incredibly inconsistent. There were two horrible roughing the passer calls made against the Browns on hits on Kyler Murray. On one of them, Kyler Murray was literally already falling to the ground. He got hit as he threw. It's like, he's already falling to the ground. I'm sorry, the defender didn't throw him to the ground. He already was falling when he got hit. Also, it wasn't a late hit. It was as he threw the football. Now, on the second one, this is the one that, like, even I got messages from Cardinals fans on Instagram going like, yeah, I I could not believe that was roughing the passer. Kyler Murray got touched. And I don't mean, I don't mean, I mean, like, barely touched like a pat on the on the side where the defender is coming after him Kyler throws the ball the defender literally pulls up makes a really big effort to not hit Kyler Murray Kyler Murray and him like they they barely touch each other Kyler doesn't even stumble he literally just takes a step backwards doesn't fall down nothing was not a violent hit nothing like that I wouldn't even call it a hit I would call it like a love tap and for some reason that got called roughing the passer I'm like in what world is that Roughing the passer. It was a terrible call. And then on top of that, go watch that. I referenced that play the beginning of the third quarter. Baker took a sack. On that play, Baker got hit in the helmet. Helmet to helmet. Got totally ignored. It, it was very weird. I I don't like the whole narrative. Like, the refs hate Cleveland, stuff like that. But the refs make it really hard to say that the refs don't hate Cleveland. Like, I, I watch and I'm going, miss call, miss call, miss call. Notice all of them went against Cleveland. And then Baker gets hit in the helmet on a sack where that's a play earlier in the year. I saw that called on a hit on Justin Fields where Justin Fields got hit that same way, got a flag, roughing the passer. And I'm like, you're going to call roughing the passer on a love tap on Kyler Murray where he doesn't fall to the ground. Baker gets hit helmet to helmet, nothing. Again, when I saw that called earlier in the year, uh, when on a hit against Justin Fields, the Bears rookie quarterback. So Man, it was not the deciding factor in this football game, but I couldn't talk about it. I, I rarely talk about refs. That's a, a really big thing I try to not talk about, but I couldn't ignore it here. I'm like, man, the refs were not the deciding factor in this game, but however, the refs were a, they, they were crazy inconsistent in this football game. It drove me nuts to watch. I'm like, man, this is really, really bad. Also, if I'm going to mention refs, I might as well say the taunting penalties around the NFL are horrible. They drive me nuts. Look, Arizona dominated, though. One of the Browns' touchdowns was actually a Hail Mary before halftime. Uh, it really should have been 37-7, to 7, not 37-14. to 14. If, if the Cardinals don't make one mistake in coverage on a Hail Mary, that game is even worse than it, should have, than it really looked. Um, also, by the way, Arizona adding Matt Prater was a great move. Last year, Arizona had all kinds of trouble in the kicking game. And uh, this year, they added Matt Prater, a new kicker. Uh, came over from Detroit. He's been outstanding. He's been a major upgrade. Shout out to Matt Prater, kicking very, very well. And uh, my final thought is this. The Browns' injuries are piling up. You know, they have both of their tackles, Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin are out. They're injured. Both running backs, Nick Chubb. Now Kareem Hunt is also injured, got hurt against Arizona. Baker's not 100%. Torn labrum in his uh, non-throwing left shoulder. Receiver Jarvis Landry is out. I mean, there's penalty, or there's there's injuries everywhere. And... The Browns play Thursday night against Denver, so they have to win on Thursday to keep their season alive. If you go three and four to start the year, that's sorry, Cleveland can't recover. I, I think that's you could recover technically, but that's really really bad. And uh, so the Browns have to win on Thursday to keep their season from going sideways. All right, guys, uh, I'm gonna take a short break. When I return, uh, more good stuff. Uh, noteworthy. Uh, then, you know, NFL week six, noteworthy. We'll talk about college football. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Welcome back in. Let's talk a little more about the NFL. We just had NFL week six, and uh, I already talked about the Browns and Cardinals game, but there are still nine other games I want to talk about. So number one is this, the Raiders beat the Broncos. 34 to 24 in Denver, by the way. The Raiders went on the road and beat Denver at home. 
And, uh, oh my, uh, this game was incredibly, incredibly disappointing. Not because I'm a Broncos fan. I'm not a Broncos fan at all. Uh, but I do recognize the potential in Denver and it is being failed to be realized. It's really, really frustrating. Broncos quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater had four turnovers, three interceptions and a fumble. And first of all, like you cannot win when your quarterback has four turnovers in a game. It almost never happens. I'm sure there's an exception somewhere. It's happened once or twice in the NFL history, but come on guys. Like this is ridiculous. Watching what happened in Denver on Sunday. It's, it's infuriating because Denver has too much talent to lose and be wasted the way that they're being wasted. And, and by the way, Teddy should have had four interceptions. One of them got dropped. So Denver started three, and zero. they've now lost three games in a row. And I just kind of can't believe that Denver passed on Ohio state quarterback, Justin Fields. He is now the Bears starting quarterback. He's a rookie quarterback. He's fantastic. And I tried to convince myself. I tried to be like, well, you know, they needed Patrick Sertan and they had Teddy Bridgewater. I tried every way I possibly could to hear the Broncos argument and convince myself. Yeah, they didn't need Justin Fields. No, I look at them now and like, they clearly should have drafted Justin Fields. It's to me, it looks like negligence. Like you can't not draft a quarterback when you need one the way they did. And I just, man, it's so frustrating. Like clearly drafting Patrick Sertan, he's a great corner, but he doesn't have an impact on the games the way that the quarterback position does. And I just can't believe Denver needed a quarterback, didn't draft one. Now they're three and three. They're losing games they should win. And this loss, honestly, it's so bad it made me wonder what would have happened if Vic Fangio, their head coach, had stayed in Chicago as a defensive coordinator. Like, he's failed as a head coach. And I just, it's so infuriating to me. Now, good for the Raiders. Uh, They won now after losing their head coach, John Gruden. Derek Carr looked great. Uh, Their young second-year receiver, Henry Ruggs. Had three catches for 97 yards and three, uh, sorry, not three, and a single touchdown, not three touchdowns. Three catches, 97 yards, and a touchdown. The Raiders are now four and two. Denver is an ugly three and three. And uh, if you're a Broncos fan, I feel horrible for you. I just, I feel depressed for that whole fan base. It's frustrating. Every week I watch them and go, it's so obvious the talent this team has. And then they're being held back so clearly by the quarterback position and their head coach. And it's like, man, I just... Uh, when will the suffering end in Denver? I just, I, I don't understand. And I, I never know. Like, why does Denver appear to not value quarterbacks? Like John Elway's running that franchise. You would think him of all people would want a good quarterback. And for some reason, he just hasn't been able to get one at all in Denver. Game number two, the Cowboys beat the Patriots 35 to 29 in overtime. I got to say, I expected more from the Patriots defense here. In this game, Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott exploded. He shredded New England's defense. Dak was 36 for 51 passing with 445 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Dallas, by the way, also ran the ball for 122 yards. Dallas had 567 yards of total offense. It's man, uh, I, I, I look, the Patriots are two and four. The season is not yet over, but Mac Jones. Well, look, Mac Jones appears to be improving, and the Patriots, like, I'm not ready to bail on them, and we'll see how the year goes for the rest of the year for them, but I I gotta say, I expected more from New England by this point of the year, and, uh, like, they, they fought hard, it was a crazy game, it was really fun, and by the way, this was a incredibly fun game, but I just thought that the Patriots would have a better record six games into the year. Now, um, like I said, this game was super fun. This The ending to this Patriots-Cowboys game was insane. First of all, Cowboys corner Trevon Diggs had a pick six with, you know, a little over two minutes left, two minutes and like 27 seconds, something like that. Two minutes and some change. So he had, by the way, Trevon Diggs now has seven picks in six NFL games this year. That's unreal. The next closest guy only has three interceptions all year. So Trevon Diggs is on pace to, it's just unbelievable what he's doing. People trash him and say, he's not a good cover corner, gives up lots of yards. I don't care. Dude makes plays. Like, it's undeniable the playmaking ability of Trevon Diggs. And, uh, man. So, anyway, he had a pick six with a little over two minutes left. Uh, it gave Dallas a 26-21 to 21 lead. Then on the very next offensive play for the Patriots, they hit a 75-yard touchdown pass to take the lead again, reclaiming that lead. They got a two-point conversion. The Patriots are actually up 29-26 to 26 at the end of this game. 
Then Dallas puts together a drive. I feel like it's one of those stories where like, and then, and then, and then this happened. And guess what? Then this happened. So pick six, Patriots touchdown. Then the Cowboys put together a field goal drive at the end of the fourth quarter to tie the game 29-29. They force overtime. Then in overtime, the Patriots could not score with the ball. They had to punt it away. And Dallas won with a touchdown pass from Dak Prescott. Man, like Dallas, in my opinion, they have really become a Super Bowl contender. And I I did not give Dallas the respect they deserve going into the year. And I think I predicted them to win six games. I feel like an idiot. I'm like, okay, well, Dallas clearly has busted my prediction wide open. They've already won five games this year. They're five and one. They look really good. Dallas looks like a Super Bowl contender. And uh, Dallas is, like, I worry about injuries. That's something I said during my prediction was, can Dallas avoid injuries? I thought they'd be more banged up than they are by this point. And uh, look, Dak Prescott is playing the best football of his entire life. So shout out to Dallas. They look fantastic. I got to make a video soon about how I was wrong about Dallas because it clearly, like, I just, my prediction was way off. And uh, one final note, there was a really, really cool play. Uh, Fourth and goal for Dallas. Dak went to reach over the goal line with the ball. You know, quarterback sneak trying to get the ball over the goal line. And Patriots linebacker Juwan Bentley knocked the ball out of his hands. And uh, it's like a heads-up play. I really like that when you see a little... Often quarterbacks get away with it. They put the ball really quickly over the line, over the, over the goal line, touchdown. Juwan Bentley said, not at my house. He knocked the ball away out of Dak's hands. It saved a touchdown. And uh, it's a great play. Unfortunately, it didn't lead to a win for the Patriots, but that's a big play that kept the game alive. That's why the game was able to go, go to overtime. Uh, by the way, Jawan Bentley, Patriots linebacker, Jawan Bentley had 13 tackles in this game. He had a fantastic game. And uh, to me, it was impressive all around what he did against Dallas. Game number three, the Bengals beat the Lions 34-11. to Cincinnati is now 4-2. and In my opinion, the Bengals are in the hunt for a playoff spot. It's going to be a really fun end of the year for the Bengals. I'm excited about them. They've had a great start to the year. However, Detroit now is... 0-6, and, and for Detroit, all my focus is now shifting to the 2022 NFL Draft, and all I want to say is, hey, Malik Willis, Detroit 2022, I want them to draft the Liberty quarterback, Malik Willis. Uh, the Lions have a lot of needs, I acknowledge that. Quarterback is not their number one need, but it is the most important position in football. They got to get it right, and Jared Goff, their starting quarterback right now, is simply not the long-term answer. In fact, Jared Goff is a blessing in disguise because he's bad. He's not going to work. But what he can do is start week one next year while Malik Willis sits on the bench and waits till he's ready. And I, it's it's like, it's right there waiting. They got to have a horrible year. They draft Liberty quarterback Malik Willis. They build around him, restart their whole franchise. I like the coaching staff Detroit has. I like their offensive coordinator. I like Dan Campbell. And then I look at Malik Willis. He's the next Justin Herbert, Josh Allen type of quarterback who's incredibly physically gifted, who needs, who's rough around the edges, needs some polishing up in the NFL. But as long as Malik Willis wants to work hard and be coached hard, Detroit needs to draft him next year. And look, man, again, Cincinnati, Jared Goff had another turnover and the Lions only had 36 yards rushing. It was a terrible game. Uh, Detroit's just rebuilding. I actually, I don't hold it against the coaching staff. Jared Goff has made really, really costly mistakes. And Detroit, this game was not a competitive game, but a lot of games this year, Detroit has been close and competitive and fighting their butts off. And, uh, it's just unfortunate that, you know, that they're working so hard. They're 0 and 6. And I just, if, if you're a Lions fan, Malik Willis is all I can say. You gotta focus all your attention and beg your ownership to draft Malik Willis in the 2022 and of a draft. Number four, the Ravens beat the Chargers 34 to six. Oh my goodness. This game shocked me. I, I honestly expected a really fun, great competitive game. And uh, nope, uh, we didn't get that. Now, Lamar Jackson had two interceptions. Justin Herbert, the Chargers quarterback, only had one. And even though this game was a blowout, I still find it really, really interesting. So I'm going to actually, get, I'm, I'm going to say what I have to say. I'm going to share my thoughts later. I want to do a full breakdown of this game, but I wanted to acknowledge this happened. The Chargers got blown out by the Ravens. It's unexpected. I, I thought it'd be fun and competitive. It wasn't. I want to answer the question, what happened on a later episode, but uh, this game was pretty, pretty wild. And that, that score really, really surprised me. Number five, the Vikings beat the Panthers 34 to 28 in overtime. 
it was wild. The Panthers were down 28 to 20 with two minutes left in the game. And their young quarterback, Sam Darnold, led them on a game-tying touchdown drive. He had two big fourth-down conversions. He had a fourth-and-ten throw down the middle. He had a fourth-and-six for a big gain down the left sideline. Carolina got a touchdown, then a two-point conversion to tie the game up, 28-28, forcing overtime. Minnesota got the ball first. Uh, they won with a touchdown in overtime. And Carolina, like, you know, never got the ball in overtime. So I thought this game honestly ended rather perfectly where Sam Darnold, the Panthers quarterback, walked away looking good, had a heroic performance, you know, put together a game-tying drive into the fourth quarter. But then Minnesota won. And Minnesota, I thought, needed the victory more than Carolina. Carolina, I predicted to go 7-10. and They're rebuilding. It's all good. Guys in Minnesota are fighting for their jobs. Mike Zimmer, the head coach, wants to not get fired. Kirk Cousins is, you know, he played great. I, I don't, I think he has played fantastic enough to keep his job, but ownership often makes football decisions that are, maybe are not the best. Uh, so I, I worry about impatient ownership there. In the end, all of my interests were protected. Uh, you know, Sam Darnold walked away looking good. And so did Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer. They got the victory. So uh, I was happy with the outcome of this game, even though I, I would have been happy if Carolina won to. I, I consider myself like a closeted Carolina Panthers fan. I'm so in the closet about that. I won't even admit to myself I'm a Panthers fan. But every time I see the Panthers do well, I go, oh, I get really happy and excited about that. So uh, I also want to acknowledge the Vikings had multiple opportunities to kick the game-winning field goal. They could not make that happen. So uh, I remember there was a, a moment where I praised the Vikings kicker. <laughs> and uh, he has not... He has not, uh, I did, did, I, did I ruin him? Like, did I hurt his confidence? What happened there? I don't understand why. I praised the guy, and ever since then, I feel like he misses game-winning kicks over and over again. It's, it's infuriating to me, but uh, I'm glad that Minnesota, in the end, got the win anyway. Game number six is a long one. In London, the Jaguars got their first win of the year. They beat Miami 23-20, to hit a game-winning field goal. It's pretty cool for them. Uh, so, Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer will live to see another day. Honestly, I thought that this win, weirdly enough, hurt the Jaguars because it means that Urban Meyer, their head coach, is going to hang around a little longer. And uh, I don't know if anybody noticed this. Last week, Urban Meyer would say stuff, and then his quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, would go in his press conference and immediately contradict him. It's weird. It's like I almost felt like Trevor Lawrence was trying to say the opposite stuff of Urban Meyer to undermine him a little bit. And I wonder... I mean, and not even do I wonder, I, I kind of am of the mind that Trevor Lawrence just wants to get Urban Meyer out of here, doesn't want to work with him anymore. Uh, nonetheless, the Jaguars won. They're now 1-5. and five. Uh, And I got to say, Trevor Lawrence was fantastic in this game. He kind of looks like a Madden creative player. He just, he, the way he, he's like a way better athlete than anybody gives him credit for. He's going to be fantastic. I have nothing but confidence that Trevor Lawrence is going to be an amazing quarterback in the NFL. Now, the Miami Dolphins are in a... <sighs> a rough spot. Uh, they're one in five. They've lost five games in a row. And by the way, it's crazy. This team won 10 games last year. It does not appear like Miami is going to bounce back and uh, have an even better year than they had last year. And I'm not ready to make any big statements yet about Tua Tungavaloa's future, uh, but I am concerned. I'll say that. And I, I will say, like, in fairness, Trevor, Lo Trevor Lawrence, geez, Tua Tungavaloa played pretty well in this game. I thought he it looked like he's getting better. And then you also calculate that, you know, Trevor has, I keep saying Trevor, why do I do that? Tua, you keep, you realize that Tua has fractured ribs. He was missing three receivers, Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, and Preston Williams. Tua, I just, it's interesting. What, what are they going to do with him moving forward? Because it's unlikely that Miami is going to have a really good draft pick they can use to replace Tua. Because this next NFL draft, they traded away their first round pick to Philadelphia now, they do have the 49ers first-round pick, but that's unlikely to be a top-10 pick. And it, it's pretty disappointing that every time Miami loses a game, their fan base can't even be glad. It, it, like, the, losing doesn't even help them because all it does is give Philadelphia a better draft pick for next year in 2022. Really, the best thing Miami can do if they do want to actually replace Tua, and, and I, I say the best thing rather cautiously because I don't, I don't really like this move, like, the best chance they have to get another quarterback other than Tua is probably to trade for quarterback Deshaun Watson. But that's a move I, I do not feel good about at all for, like, all kinds of reasons that I don't need to get into here. So, I look, I, I look at Miami right now, and I think 
they're kind of stuck with Tua. I mean, what they have to figure out is the question is not will Tua get better. I, I, you you have to assume Tua is getting you know, the more reps you give him, the more time you give him, you have to assume he's going to get a little bit better. But the question really has to be in Miami. If Tua does get better, are you comfortable with his potential, with his ceiling? Because he can't run. He doesn't have a big arm. Like, I'm sorry, but Tua's never going to be Justin Herbert. He's never going to be Josh Allen. He's never going to be Malik Willis or Lamar Jackson or even, you know, Trey Lance. Like, Tua has a limited ceiling. And the question is, is Miami comfortable investing in a guy who may not be like his best may not be as good as other quarterbacks around the league. And I just, I'm very, very curious what Miami's going to do long-term at the quarterback position. Uh, I, I thought in this game, Tua played fine, but his future definitely does not feel secure to me. Now, Miami in this game had a couple of chances on fourth down. It drove me nuts watching because they had a fourth and one on their own 46 yard line. Instead of going for it, they just tried to draw Jacksonville offsides and ended up punting it away. It, there was 6.48 left in the game when that moment happened. They punted away. It was frustrating. I'm like, yeah, guys, go for it. Like, why does Miami not understand the last thing you want to do is punt the ball away and, and lose because you weren't taking risks? And then later on fourth and one with the game on the line, Miami ran the ball. It got stopped. I hated both calls. I hated not going for it earlier on fourth down. And then later on fourth and one, running the ball, not, it, it just felt boring and weird and safe and I just drove me nuts to watch Miami in this game now I do want to end this uh little talk about the Jaguars Dolphins game by giving a shout out to Jaguars kicker Matthew Wright he was three for three kicking field goals including the game winner and they were long field goals too he had a 40 yarder he had a a 53 yarder the game winner was 53 yards also hit a 54 yard field goal Matthew Wright the Jaguars kicker had a great day and uh he probably is the sole reason why Urban Meyer is going to have a job at least a little longer, if not much longer. So we'll see. Urban Meyer, though, again, I, I repeat, I don't think this win was good for Jacksonville. I think what it did was allow the Urban Meyer mess to continue in Jacksonville rather than if he loses, he probably gets fired. So I, it's just I can't feel good for Jacksonville, even though they won a game, which is bizarre to say. Game number seven, the Steelers beat Seattle uh, 23 to 20 in overtime on Sunday Night Football. And, man, I just felt bad for Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith. He's filling in. He's a backup. He's filling in for Russell Wilson, who's injured right now. And Geno Smith played pretty well. I was actually surprised. I'm like, oh, Geno Smith, like, hey, he came in last week when Russell Wilson got hurt. It's not a fluke. Like, Geno actually is a very capable quarterback. Now, the problem is he had a big fumble in overtime. TJ Watt made a huge play to force a fumble. I, you know, he, uh, there's some video out there. I saw it on YouTube. It's like, there's a reason why JJ or by TJ Watt. There's a reason why TJ Watt is the highest paid defensive player in the NFL. Like he's fantastic. He's a big playmaker. I've done a film analysis of him. He's incredible. And uh, so TJ Watt made a huge play, forced a fumble. It set up the game winning field goal for Pittsburgh. But again, despite the one mistake in overtime, I thought Geno Smith played better than I expected, pretty well. And uh, if Geno plays well in the next couple weeks, they play New Orleans and then Jacksonville in their next two games. Those games are winnable. And so if they beat New Orleans, they beat Jacksonville, Geno Smith plays well, then you might get Russell Wilson back week 10 against Green Bay after the bye week. So Seattle's in trouble, but they're two and two. That could turn into, sorry, they're two and four. That could, could turn into four and four later if they can beat New Orleans and Jacksonville. The year is not over, but certainly if you're a Seahawks fan, two and four with a backup quarterback playing at least two more weeks, there's no way you feel good if you're a Seattle fan. Game number eight, the Colts beat Houston 31-3. to And uh, the big story is not only that the Colts won, uh, they're now two and four. They're trying to save their season. I think they're, in fact, they are. They're getting hard knocks later this year, which is going to be either really terrible or really interesting depending on if they can win a couple games between now and then. Now, one big thing in this game is they got receiver T.Y. Hilton back in this game. He had a big 52-yard catch. He made a big impact in this game helping Carson Wentz. And I wonder if T.Y. Hilton will retire after this year. For the Colts' sake, I hope not. And uh, also, one, one other weird thought about this game. I was reminded how much I hate the shadows at Lucas Oil Stadium in, Stadium in Indy. I say this jokingly, but like, Hey, uh, could we not get curtains in Indianapolis? Like, what's happening? Why? 
Every time I watch a game in India, I'm reminded of how much I hate those shadows. It's hard to watch. The ball disappears. The cameras have a hard time. I feel bad for the cameraman every time. And uh, seriously, though, the shadows are terrible in that stadium. Davis Mills, the quarterback for Houston, he had two interceptions. He's a rookie. I like The numbers are bad, but I thought Davis Mills, all things considered, wasn't terrible. And I'm excited to hopefully do a film analysis of him after the year is over. Like I, I think he's got potential to maybe be, uh, if not the franchise quarterback in Houston, but at least a, a duct tape quarterback for a while in Houston until they can get a long-term plan. And uh, Davis Mills, like again, the numbers were not great against Indianapolis. Only three points. They got annihilated. But Davis Mills does some quality stuff, and he had some good throws in this game as well. The final game I want to talk about, number nine, the Rams beat the Giants 38-11. to Not a lot to say here. I want to say this, though, and I... I you know, I say I don't gloat very often. I think what that really means is I make videos saying I was wrong about blank. I rarely make a video saying I was right about blank, but I will say occasionally on the show, like, Hey, I, I got this right. I got that right. There's one thing I got very right. I'm very proud of. I love you giants fans. You're passionate. You're angry. I don't mind it. Uh, but when I predicted the giants to go at four and 13, Oh boy, I got a lot of hate. People were very, very angry. Uh, the giants are now one in five. So I just want to put that out there. It's just saying, hey, how crazy does 4-13 and 13 sound now, huh? 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 How's 1-5 and five sound if you're a Giants fan? I'm not happy about that, by the way. I feel bad for Giants fans. Um, but looks like, looks like I wasn't so crazy after all. I'm a mad scientist, man. I get stuff wrong, no doubt. But like my predictions, the more I watch the year unfold, the more I'm like, got that right i got that right got that like i got stuff wrong i was terribly wrong about the cowboys wrong about the patriots wrong about miami like stuff i i I got totally wrong but there are stuff i was right about too and a lot of the stuff that made people the most mad i ended up being the most right about so just ah you know in one sense i i feel terrible for giants fans and i I wish the giants were not a bad franchise because actually i'm like a a weird fan where i'd like to follow the giants and see what they're doing And I love their fan base, the passion. But uh, I also, as far as my prediction goes and and feeding my ego, it certainly does feel good to see the Giants at one and five and go, huh, I remember all those tweets at me. I remember all the messages I got. I remember reading comments. And uh, I did not forget what people said to me when I I said the Giants would go four and 13. Now, now that I say this, they probably finished the year uh, undefeated and and make me look stupid. But uh, so far, just saying the Giants are one and five. All right, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will talk about college football week seven. My name is Zach Shomler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let's now talk about college football. We just had college football week seven, and uh, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. Number one, we'll start with the, I guess, the number one team in the nation. Number one, Georgia Beat number 11, Kentucky, 30-13. to 13. Georgia is now 7-0. They will play Florida next week. That'll be fun. I think it's a neutral site game. I believe that game always happens in Jacksonville. It has as long as I've been paying attention. Uh, that Again, that'll be fun. Georgia, Florida, it's always fun. It's always interesting. Georgia probably wins. Kentucky's only hope of winning this game against Georgia over the weekend was somehow having Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett have a bad game. He did not. In fact, he actually had a great game. Stetson Bennett was 14 for 20, passing 250 yards, three touchdowns, made a lot of really good throws. And I I maintain it looks like Stetson Bennett probably should be the long-term starting quarterback at Georgia. Like, he's playing really free. He's letting the ball fly, making great throws downfield. Uh, one of the guys he threw to, Brock Bowers, the Georgia tight end, had five catches for 105 yards and two touchdowns. Again, man, Stetson Bennett made big-time throws in the tight windows downfield. I was very, very impressed. Now, I have to talk about this because Kentucky had a crazy drive at the end of the fourth quarter. They had a 22-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. It took 11 minutes and 23 seconds off the clock. In fact, the only reason why it ended at 11 minutes and 23 seconds was because the game ran out of time, and they had to score literally as the clock ran out. So the drive took up basically the entire fourth quarter. And they, in fact, they had two fourth down conversions in that on that drive at the end of the game. It made me wish that Kentucky had gone for it more on fourth down 
throughout the game. Now, I looked at their fourth downs. I'm like, well, a lot of them were deep in their own territory or fourth and long. But it's hard to tell. Did Kentucky have a breakthrough at the end of this game? Or did Georgia's eat just ease off a little bit and you know let their foot off the gas and allow just like hey we'll, we'll give Kentucky four yards there five yards there it's very either one seems possible but I wonder it just doesn't I, I can't say like it, it makes me wonder a little bit did Kentucky have a breakthrough and figure something out at the end of the game that maybe they could have done all game that like, if Kentucky plays Georgia again tomorrow do they do better or do worse it's just something I'd love to think about we'll never know the answer but. Either way, like despite losing, I felt like Kentucky actually played very, very well. Kentucky, I, I think, is going to go 11-1 and one this year. feels very likely. feels very possible. And uh, keep your eye on Kentucky, man. I think they're, they're a great football program doing good stuff. And uh, Georgia right now is a team to beat in college football. Now, Cincinnati beat UCF. There, at the time, Cincinnati was the number three team in the nation. Cincinnati won 56-21 to 21 over Central Florida. It's almost a given that Cincinnati is going to make it into the college football playoff. I would be shocked if they somehow lost this year. They play like SMU who's ranked at some point later, but I mean, look, Cincinnati is a, it's a cool story. I, I want to see them make it into the college football playoff. They're a group of five team who is kind of getting ranked up with the big boys, which is really fun. Now in this game, Cincinnati running back Jerome Ford, he deserves credit. He carried the ball 20 times for a hundred and 89 yards and four touchdowns. So Cincinnati, they remain undefeated, and uh, their quest to make it into the college football playoff continues. Will they win? Probably not, but I'm like, hey, they're a cool story. I don't mind following that. Oklahoma beat TCU 52-31. to This is another team in the college football playoff conversation. Now, Spencer Rattler, the Oklahoma quarterback, or, or, or former Oklahoma starting quarterback, has now officially been benched because... Caleb Williams is the new quarterback starting at Oklahoma. He had five total touchdowns, four passing, one rushing. One of That one rushing touchdown was a 41-yard run by Caleb Williams. It was very impressive. He was 18 for 23 passing for 295 yards uh, and those four touchdowns passing that I did mention. Caleb Williams is uh, – I'm becoming a really big fan of the guy. I like his demeanor. His teammates seem to like him. He seems like a good leader who is just very positive and – I love watching Caleb Williams play quarterback. The way he sits in the pocket is very calm and strong. It's very unique the way he, like his feet are very deliberate, very slow, but not slow because he's like slow, slow because they're controlled. And it's just a different style, a different tempo you don't often see where he's not bouncing his feet around a lot. He's just very calm, very strong, very slow. And watch the way Caleb Williams uses his lower body to generate force with the football. It's really impressive. And, I got to say, Caleb Williams reminds me a lot of, he has parts of his game that are taken from two different former Oklahoma quarterbacks. One is he runs a lot like Jalen Hurts, powerful, but quick. Uh, but man, like Caleb Williams can really lower the shoulder and break a tackle, which I, I love Kyler Murray. He never could do that. But then he throws the ball like Kyler Murray. He's got Kyler Murray's ability to throw the ball. He runs like Jalen Hurts. Caleb Williams is fantastic. I love the guy. And uh, it's just I cannot wait to watch him continue to progress and grow. Like, he's not perfect. He's a little late on a couple throws and still figuring it out. But definitely, it's it's undeniable, in my opinion, that Oklahoma is a much better team with Caleb Williams as their starting quarterback. And it makes me wonder. I look back to, you know, some of the ugly wins that Oklahoma had earlier in the year. Would those games have been blowouts if Caleb Williams had played all year? I, I don't know. I, I think you had to let the Spencer Rattler thing play out, but... Certainly, Caleb Williams is fantastic. Now, I still worry about Oklahoma's defense. They gave up 31 points to TCU. Uh, TCU receiver Quinton Johnson had seven catches for, listen to this, 185 yards and three touchdowns. That's ridiculous. Uh, so, I like, in the college football playoff, can Oklahoma stop an SEC team? I doubt it. And, and certainly, if they match up with Cincinnati, that's like the dream scenario. Can we get Cincinnati against Oklahoma? Because that's a game that Cincinnati has a legitimate shot. They probably don't win, but they have a better shot of beating Oklahoma than they do of beating Alabama or Georgia. So keep your eye on that. I'm curious how things all play out. Now, Iowa lost. Number two Iowa lost to unranked Purdue. Uh, they're called the Purdue Boilermakers. I would call them the Purdue Spoilermakers after beating... Sorry, it's dumb. It's cheesy. I saw that comment all over YouTube. I had to steal it. 
Uh, remember, a couple of years ago, was it 2018? Was it two years ago? I don't remember. Recently, Purdue beat number two Ohio State. And Purdue was unranked at the time. They spoiled their year as well. Now, this game was not even close. Purdue beat Iowa at Iowa 24-7. to It was embarrassing. And I would say that Iowa got exposed. Their weakness, which is their starting quarterback, kind of caught up to them. Their quarterback, Spencer Petras, had four interceptions. It was really only three. The final interception, number four, came at the very end of the game on the final play. But still, like, you look at Iowa, what they did, they really only had two good drives all game. They missed a field goal, and they put together a touchdown drive earlier in the game. Uh, Look, man, I never understand why a top high school quarterback doesn't seek out Iowa and say, hey, I want to go to Iowa and be the man, because it feels like Iowa is always just a, like, one legit quarterback away from being a really good program winning a lot of games. Like, they run the ball super well. They play great defense. It seems like all they need is one NFL-level quarterback. If they could find that. Like, imagine if Iowa had Fresno State quarterback Jake Hayner. If, if Jake Hayner was at Iowa, imagine what would happen. Him running hard play action, turning around, reading a defense. Like, he'd be fantastic. Or imagine if—this is like a dream of dreams, but this is— Like, if you play NCAA, this is what you should do, really. Imagine if— Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler transferred into Iowa. His talent, his playmaking ability, his bad attitude too, I acknowledge that. But him with that running game and that defense would be outstanding and really fun to watch. It just, I mean, it kind of reminds me of Russell Wilson in Wisconsin. When Wisconsin played great defense, ran the ball well, all they needed was a really good quarterback. And Iowa every year had this feeling like, man, all they need is a great quarterback and they never seem to have one. Maybe that's coaching, by the way, but it it is still infuriating to watch year in and year out watching Iowa football. Now, anyway, Purdue played really, really well. Uh, It's not, again, it's not the first time. So it was, in my notes, 2018, Purdue beat number two, Ohio State. Uh, They were unranked. They knocked off the number two team in the nation. Uh, And I just, credit to Purdue. Their quarterback played very, very well. But the story here really is that Iowa has fallen. On top of that, Alabama crushed Mississippi State 49-9. to Mississippi State could not even score a touchdown in this game. Their quarterback had three interceptions. I wonder, hey, hey, Mississippi State fans, how is the Mike Leach era going? Just wondering, just asking a question. I think they're 3-3. Three and three, Like, I remember when I said, uh, I, I got a lot of hate from Mississippi State fans when they hired Mike Leach, and I said, look, he's going to be interesting. He's never going to beat Alabama, and we see the gap now. Alabama beat Mississippi State 49-9. Like, we'll see, but I, I wonder how happy Mississippi State Bulldog fans are with their coach currently. I don't know. Now, a lot of people, I heard people say all week, this is what they said roughly. After Alabama lost, it opens up the door for other teams. And people on ESPN and Fox Sports, they all just say that because they want to sell college football. They want it to sound exciting and they want it to sound like everyone has a real chance. No, no one. Sorry. When Alabama lost, nothing happened. It changed nothing. I was like one of the only people. It's like, why? I actually think Alabama might win the national championship now because of that loss. Look at the new rankings today. Most rankings have, like if you look at almost every poll, the top four is some order and some ranking of Georgia number one, then either Cincinnati or Oklahoma two, but still the top three is always Georgia, Cincinnati, Oklahoma. And guess who the number four team in the nation is right now? Two weeks removed from losing to Texas A&M, or maybe one week, depending on how you count it. Alabama is the number four team in the nation on almost every poll nationwide. Oh, it's almost like Alabama never lost. Just saying, it's kind of funny. If Alabama wins the SEC title, that loss to Texas A&M isn't going to matter at all. And look, Cincinnati's probably going to get in. Cincinnati has a a great shot because the Pac-12 has nobody and the ACC has no dominant team to represent them. Like the Pac-12, almost said 10, the Pac-12 has number, Oregon's ranked number 10 in basically every poll. So they have Oregon, who's got got one loss. They lost to Stanford. And then right now, the highest ranked team 
out of the ACC is Wake Forest. That is not going to stay pat. And the Pac-12 and ACC cannot put together a team to represent them at the top. So it's more and more likely we're going to see Cincinnati get in, which is very exciting to me. I like seeing a new face like that. I also wonder how cool would it be if Michigan right now was undefeated. They're 6-0. They play Northwestern next week. And even if they beat Northwestern, you know, Michigan still has to beat Michigan State, their rival, the Spartans. They have to beat Penn State and Ohio State. But how cool would it be if Michigan ran the table and made it in? Like that, that's one of those things that gets me. They probably wouldn't win, but man, I, I would love to see that. A This would be like a dream Final Four. It would be like Michigan, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, and then either Georgia or Alabama. That sounds wild and different and unique and fun. Like we haven't had a college football playoff with teams like that. And like, I know Oklahoma gets in, but Oklahoma never wins anything in those games. And uh, man, it'd be, it'd be really, really fun to see that. By the way, speaking of Michigan, Michigan State just beat Indiana. They're now 7-0. So Michigan State has a bye week next week. Then they play Michigan in two weeks from now. That's the, they play for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, the Michigan-Michigan State game. If Michigan beats Northwestern next weekend, then we're going to get that Paul Bunyan game between two undefeated teams, 7-0 Michigan and 7-0 Michigan State. I want that so badly. Oh, man, I really want to see that. I don't know why. I'm obsessed with that idea that we're going to get. It's always interesting. It's always fun. By the way, Jim Harbaugh always struggles to beat Michigan State. It's always interesting and weird. Remember one time. Michigan had the win. They're punting the ball away, and they messed up the punt. It got blocked or stole whatever happened, and it gave Michigan State a touchdown. They lost that way on, like, the final play of the game. So every year, Michigan has trouble with Michigan State. It should be fun. It should be interesting, and uh, I'm I'm so pumped for that storyline. What's going to happen with Michigan-Michigan State this year? I'm like, oh, can we please get them both 7-0 going into that game? Now, also uh, this past weekend, LSU beat number 20 Florida 49-42. Florida two, Florida two, Florida threw four interceptions between two different quarterbacks in this game. LSU led for most of the game. Like Florida got up, they were up six to nothing, and then they couldn't score after that. Uh, Florida freshman quarterback Anthony Richardson uh, played has played a decent amount this year. In this game against LSU, he played the most he's played all year. In my opinion, moving forward, Anthony Richardson should be the full time starting quarterback of Florida moving forward. And I bet a lot of angry Florida fans are calling for Dan Mullen's job, the Florida head coach. I would relax. I think you just got to wait and let – like Florida has basically Emory Jones, who's not a very good quarterback. And they're basically waiting until Anthony Richardson can be the full-time starting quarterback. He's a freshman. He's still developing. But once you figure out the quarterback situation, Florida's going to be just fine. And also, let's be honest. Like there's no – no matter who the coach is at Florida – they're not going to dethrone Nick Saban in Alabama anytime soon. you got to let it happen naturally. Uh, really what Florida needs to do is be patient. Stop calling for the coach's job. I, I don't know what coach can come into Florida and beat Alabama quickly. I just don't. Like, Urban Meyer is a pipe dream, and nothing else even sounds feasible. So can we stop with the fire Dan Mullen thing? It's getting weird. And I like maybe Mario Cristobal comes from Oregon, but I don't know why he would leave Oregon. He's got a great thing. He's on top of the world. He commands that conference so I don't know man now a weird note here is that LSU announced that they have fired their head coach Ed Orzeron and it's weird they did it after winning a big game against Florida it's like what very bizarre now apparently they have agreed that Ed Orzeron will coach for the rest of the year and then leave which I I've never really heard of that before where they agree early he's going to be done usually that doesn't work out very well uh remember coach O won them a national title. Now, a lot of people would argue that Joe Burrow and Joe Brady won them a national title, but still it's, I don't know, man. Like I, I get it. Like coach O hasn't done much since winning that national title, but I, I hope LSU has a plan. Like what, what's their plan after coach Orzeron? I don't know because are they going to bring back Joe Brady as head coach? Maybe that's their plan. I don't know, but LSU, like they're, it feels like they're losing a good coach searching for something better, and I don't know that there really is much better on the horizon. I would feel terrible if LSU fired at Orgeron and then was awful the next couple of years. Like, that would be interesting and funny. Now, you would argue, is that really better than Coach O? I don't know, but Coach O, again, he won you a national title. Most coaches are not going to do that for you. So 
Um, I don't know. I feel like a little bit of respect should have been given more to Ed Orgeron. By the way, number 12 Oklahoma State beat number 25 Texas 32-24. to Texas, man. Texas had a 24-16 to lead in the fourth quarter. Texas did not score in the fourth quarter. Let me, uh, let me rephrase that. Texas could not score in the fourth quarter of this football game. And uh, it's like, man, Texas, another blown lead. Now, I want to say there's one person at Texas I love. Bijan Robinson is an NFL running back. He's a guy, reminds me a lot of Devin Singletary, the Bills starting running back. He's a guy who's going to be, if he's not a first-round pick, he's a second-round pick. He's going to be a, a franchise running back for whoever drafts him in the NFL. He had 21 carries for 135 yards, two touchdowns in this game. He's run for like, I think, 10 touchdowns and 930 yards in just a couple games, in seven, six, six, seven games this year, however many they've played at Texas. And uh, Bijan Robinson, I got the numbers inaccurate, imprecise, but I, the point is he's fantastic this year. I really like watching him. He can run, he can catch. I love, love watching Bijan Robinson. Now, Oklahoma State is undefeated. They're 6-0. and And there are five games between now and Bedlam. Bedlam is the Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State rivalry game. And uh, between now, Oklahoma State plays at Iowa State, Kansas, then at West Virginia, then TCU, then at Texas Tech. Those are not easy wins, but they also are all winnable games for Oklahoma State. So I wonder, can Oklahoma State go into that Oklahoma game undefeated? And I feel pretty confident that when Oklahoma leaves the Big 12 for the SEC, OK State, Oklahoma State has an opportunity there to dominate the Big 12 once their big brother leaves the conference. So, man, I just I'm excited for the future of Oklahoma State. I think they're going to be a very good program and they've got a bright future ahead of them. Another game, Auburn beat number 17 Arkansas. I want to ramble and rant about one game, one play real quick. Right before halftime, Arkansas called a jump pass and Arkansas's quarterback uh KJ Jefferson jumps up. It's not there. So he lands which normally on a jump pass, if you don't throw the ball, you're in big trouble. He lands after jumping, runs to the left a little bit, then goes, oh my gosh, someone's open in the end zone, and just fires the ball into the end zone for a touchdown. It's very rare you see a jump pass recovered as well as K.J. Jefferson did in that moment. Now, they didn't win the game, but that was a a big play that really stood out to me in my mind. Uh, I love Auburn quarterback. Love is a strong word. I really like Auburn quarterback Bo Nix. One of the things I can't wait to do this offseason is dive into Bo Nix's film. I'll watch it leading up to the 2022 NFL draft. I'll do a film analysis at some point. I am so excited to watch the film. I think there's potential there. Every time I watch Bo Nix, I go, huh, good athlete, can run, got a good arm, make some good throws. And I, I don't know that he's NFL ready yet, but I also don't know that he couldn't become a better NFL quarterback. So I, I'm really, I'm just fascinated by Bo Nix. I really, really like him and I like the idea of him. Now, Arkansas did not play great in this game. Um, they had a couple bad calls on defense, and I don't mean penalties or, I mean, like, bad play calls and, and bad calls on defense where, for example, at the end of the game, it was like second and 14, Auburn's trying to run at the clock, and it was on Bo Nix's touchdown at the end of the game to kind of seal the victory for Auburn. For some reason, in a an obvious running situation, Arkansas left the box wide open. They only had five men in the box. You know, Auburn spread it wide, ran a quarterback draw. And uh, it, it was, I mean, I just, it was baffling. I'm like, why, how do you not expect Auburn to run the ball there with Bo Nix? It was really weird. And uh, for some reason, I, I just was blown away. Like, uh, Arkansas made a couple decisions like that on defense where I'm like, hmm, you don't deserve to win this game at all. Now, it was a great win for Auburn. It was a great win for their head coach, Brian Harson. He is a guy who... Auburn has a history of getting every SEC team does this. They get impatient. The fire coaches really quickly. Brian Harson certainly he's no Nick Saban, but he's doing a very good job building that program at Auburn. And he he came in from Boise State. I really like him, and I hope they give him more time because I think Brian Harson's doing a pretty good job building that Auburn program. Finally, the last thing I want to talk about: number thirteen Ole Miss beat Tennessee. Uh, by the way, on the road. At Tennessee, their stadium is fan- like it's massive. I love I love the atmosphere, and it was pretty cool. During pregame, Lane Kiffin acknowledged like, "Yeah, they don't like me," but he also was weirdly complimentary of Tennessee fans. He's like, "Look, these people are passionate. It's what makes college football great." And I gotta get like 
Lane Kiffin is right there. You know, college football is better, and every kind of sporting event is better when fans care. Now, you could argue the fans took it a little bit far in this game. At the end of this game, it was crazy. First of all, with one minute left on fourth and 24, Tennessee threw the ball for basically 23 and a half yards, and they got called short. They reviewed it. They said it's it's short and ruled a turnover on downs. The crowd hated that call, and they just began to mutiny. They were so angry. They started throwing stuff on the field, and uh, like a golf ball hit Lane Kiffin, the Ole Miss head coach, and it literally caused a 20-minute delay. It was weird because there was only 54 seconds left in the game, but it took 20 minutes to solve everything and get some fans kicked out and before they could resume the game. It's like, man, the end of this game was so long and drawn out. And I got to say, that's one thing that I I prefer to watch football games at home. And one thing is that it, I'm being a little bit dramatic, but I do I do get a bit weirded out by the mob mentality. Like when people are in a big group, they do stuff they wouldn't normally do. Like start launching mustard bottles on the field. And uh, I, that idea that a crowd can turn against you and it's kind of a mob mentality. It makes me feel uneasy. I don't like that. And I certainly, I got that feeling watching this end of the Tennessee game. I'm like, Oh, this is a bit uncomfortable. Now remember there's bad blood between Lane Kiffin and Tennessee. Lane Kiffin was briefly in 2009 the head coach at Tennessee. Well, he left. He, after one year, he left to be the head coach at USC. And I got to say, another weird part of this game, Tennessee almost threw a touchdown, which would have been the game-winning touchdown with four seconds left. The ball went through a receiver's hands in the end zone, and you're like, oh, if you're Lane Kiffin, the, uh, the, uh, the Ole Miss head coach, you're just like, oh, I can't believe he got away with that one. And then on the final play, the most baffling thing happened. Tennessee's quarterback, Milton, I believe is his name, just ran out of bounds. He's extending a play. Instead of throwing the ball to the end zone like you're – it's the end of the game, dude. Throw the ball up. Like, who – you throw a pick, who cares? You got nothing to lose. He didn't even throw the ball to the end zone. He just ran out of bounds. And I'm like, man, what a what a weird ending to this game. You have the step thrown on the field, and then you have this quarterback who doesn't seem to want to throw the ball into the end zone. He just runs out of bounds, accepting a loss. Like, did he not know how much time is left? Did he panic? Did he just have a mental breakdown? I have no idea, but – uh, my goodness, uh, the whole game between Ole Miss and Tennessee was very, very bizarre. And, uh, and Ole Miss won, but in the most bizarre way. I, I, just about the most bizarre ending in college football I've seen in quite a while. All right, guys, that is all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.